Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Tune Into Gaming, and I'm North Kozar. And I'm Quactical. So, we've got some fun things going on this episode. So fun! First, we're gonna break the ice by breaking the tie that happened during last episode's mystery sound. Then we're gonna talk a little bit about what we've been playing and streaming, and then we'll get into a discussion on Bethesda games, specifically the differences between Fallout and the Elder Scrolls. And then lastly, we're gonna blast off into space and talk about some space games. And guess what? We have a special guest for you today, Dantian. I, I don't know if special is how you would describe it. You're extra special to me. Oh, I, th I think I like think you're pretty special. special. Sauce they give to you at McDonald's. That's that's how special I think. That's I inappropriate. Oh, <laughs> I've, okay, I've been but, scandalized. Wait, what is in the special sauce that makes it it's, so special? It's nobody knows, man. That's why. That's why I'm just an enigma. I just come from <laughs> nowhere, and 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 you you think you're okay with me, but then you figure out what I am, and you realize no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like like Cotton Eye Joe. Like, where do you come from? Where where do you go? Why are you mystery meat? <laughs> special <laughs> special sauce. That should just be like your new name, I guess. Special sauce. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but anyway, so in case you didn't hear our last episode, or in case I, you know, you just Don't weren't exist. there. Point being, we do this thing every episode with mystery sound where Quacktical and I pick sounds for each other and we have to guess them. Well, for some weird reason, last episode, we ended up tying, which I don't know how, but it never happened before then. Uh, so we had Mostly to come up we with... Suck. I mean, yeah, basically. But uh, <laughs> we had to come up with a tiebreaker. And so what we've done is our good buddy Dantian has picked two mystery sounds that neither Correctical nor I have heard. And we're going to have to guess them to try and, you know, break break the tie. So At that'll... the same time. Uh, here's hoping you guys can recognize them. Um... <laughs> yeah, this will be pretty <laughs> good. So, um... you know, Daniel, since you're probably missing some context here. Um, in previous episodes, we give each other a few hints sometimes if we fail, but since okay. we're doing it at the same time, that's not going to be the case. I mean, we can well, talk I mean, about it. And I, try I, to... I, I, can, I can give you guys hints if you guys can't figure it out, but I would say the first one to catch it is the first one who gets it, no? Yeah, so uh, how, how I'm thinking we'll, we'll do this is we'll hear it, and then if we need to like repeat it or whatever, we can do that, and then we'll BS a little bit and try to like throw the other person off or whatnot, and then... like. Uh, Danton, you Let's can count down and be like one, two, three, and then we'll both like say our answer at the same time. So there's no like bandwagoning on the okay. other person's answer. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm, right, I'm totally right. on your bandwagon. Of course. Uh, but so without any further shenaniganing from me, uh, should we go ahead and, and, and try this and see what we can mm. guess? Yeah. Uh, you should know that uh, if you're playing A first, uh, you're listening to a uh, series of uh, sound effects. So you're going to try to figure out what game. A series of tubes. Just sound effects, no music. So, sound effects, no uh, music. Okay, this will be pretty cool. Um, all right, let's go ahead and play this and see what we get. So yeah, this is this is mystery clip A.
There's a couple in there that you should really recognize. Nice. Wow. There, that was an eclectic. That was an eclectic uh, <laughs> mix of sounds. I don't know. I some of them I wasn't so sure about, but I think I think I have. I know exactly what this game is. <laughs> you know, one hundred. I guarantee you, one hundred percent. I know exactly what this game is. <laughs> you six Garen in a bush, Tiet. <laughs> yep. Um, so Daniel, should, Dantian, sorry, should count us in. Keep calling you by your non-internet name. Okay. Um, I don't mind if people. And then we shall spout off our guesses and see how wrong we are. <laughs> okay. Ready. One, two, three. Star Star Fox Fox 64. 64. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Ding, ding, ding. Wow. (laughs) I'm surprised. I was being sarcastic when I said I 100% knew what it was. But I actually shouldn't have been sarcastic. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. The first noise, I was like, that's pushing start on the start menu to Star Fox 64. Nice yeah. one though. That that's a I, you really picked like a lot of the key sounds from that. That was mm-hmm. that was cool. I like that it Thank was you. put together in a nice palette. I somewhat sounds. recognized. I think like the the item pickup noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were the ones that I put in there purposefully, saying if, if they don't recognize anything else, they'll recognize the start. I'll recognize the item pickup. That was after the after <laughs> the start noise. I was expecting the music to come in. The dun 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 dun. dun. Oh, but <laughs> what was the what were the noises like? Kind of near the end that sounded like like. I like don't the know. Beepings, the beepings, yeah. the longer one at the end. That was like when you finished the mission, when you were sitting in the in the in the end, um, oh. the end screen after finishing the mission, and uh, gotcha. like uh, the captain would come online and after oh, his okay. little speech, that was cool. that would be the thing playing in the background, the sound of the stars and the noise. Uh, that's the def- debrief menu, I think they called it. Nice on the track. Nice, <laughs> cool. Okay, well, <sighs> clearly we didn't break the tie with that one. Apparently, but, uh, the tie is still here. My tie is still intact. Um, but it's a clip-on, so eh. <laughs> Does, that means it doesn't count at all. It's a fake victory. Oh. <laughs> it's a, a clip-on tie does not count as a real tie My hand tie has been victory. held the whole time. Well, uh, I mean, uh, sometimes you got to tighten that noose. All right. The, 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 the tie. Enough yeah. bullshittery. <laughs> we must now resolve the tie that has been tied again. All right, Sorry, so we've got... I thought I made it hard. <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know what the next one is. I mean, we're going to find out. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and play the mystery clip B, and uh, we'll we'll see what this we mystery see. clip B difficult. Rock on. <laughs> All right. Well, things. Yeah. Stuff. What, what things? What stuff? Are you unsure of this one as well? Well, I mean, there are just, there are options. There are so many options. <laughs> <laughs> There's always options. It's sort there of like. so many options. <laughs> what ice cream flavor do you want? You know, vanilla, chocolate. Correct flavor. <laughs> or lactose intolerant. I mean, uh, did, you, 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 you got a palate to pick from <laughs> that's my favorite ice cream flavor lactose intolerant <laughs> that's kind the only flavor i get <laughs> all right well uh, do we know do we have any ideas I'm, um I'm, I'm i guess i'm ready all the ideas every single idea okay all right 
Here we go. On three. One, two, three. Smash Bros. City from Smash City. I mean, Uh, what? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Mute City um, from Smash City was what came out of my face. Yeah, um, Freeman is closer. Freeman is closer. Uh, Actually, you guys are both on on point. I thought it was Big Blue. Actually, there we go. It was, oh, it was Big Blue? It was Big Blue. I definitely thought it was Big Blue. I, um... Was gonna give it to you guys if you guys guessed Smash, but it, I actually pulled it from. Um, I was I was gonna use the original eight bit track from the original F Zero games, oh. um, but it sounds much nicer in the in the in the remix version from Smash. So since you guys have played Smash, I figured you guys have heard it there. That's why I was like options because there's so yeah. many different Smash games and then different F Zero oh, games, yeah. and I'm like, uh yeah. it's right. it's big, no, big I, blue. This that's the that's the first yeah. one that plays when you're on the start screen in the original NES. It's it's always big blue. Cool. Um, yeah, you're totally right. About the the big blue thing, I don't. I, I I was thinking Mute City, and then I just went over in my head, and that Mute City sounds a little bit more like a Sonic song. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So does that make me the winner? Because I guess the big blue. I don't know what that voice came from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'll I'll concede in this case. It's, it's going to come down to that that fine line where just the miss the miss the miss level was guessed. So, congrats, Dirt Quackle. You have congrats. Ding 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 quacked yourself a very long earned victory actually yes this is several weeks in the making um but allow me to bestow upon you your victory fanfare and the crowd goes wild (laughs) (laughs) so there you have it the stay over from episode seven's mystery sound has now been resolved congratulations i won (laughs) <laughs> what is that it's from? a new car that's from like the classic internet ad Congratulations, oh that's you right you're the 20,000 <laughs> visitor like, to our site i was like Shoot, what complete. game is that from i recognize that voice yeah <laughs> congratulations it's a new car one price is right yeah. yeah of course gotta be right about that price though gotta be left oh yeah <laughs> gotta be closest but not over Anyway, so NK, what you been playing? What uh, you I've I've been playing and streaming Super Mario Sunshine because it's it's one of those Mario games. I mean, there's a lot of Mario games that I really missed the boat on, and Sunshine. But this one's really been one the sunshine that, of your life. No, actually, not at all. I it, it's definitely a frustrating game from what I remember, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I I played Mario 64 a number of times. I love it. I I think. I got almost all of the stars in a playthrough at one point. I don't know that I've ever gotten all 120 or whatnot, but like I've gotten as far as 115. So I know the struggle. (laughs) Yeah. But it Mario sunshine I've, I've tried to play before I've come to it and I've played it for a little bit. And then I like, was like, eh, I don't really want to. And I've stopped. I've done that two or three times in the past. And this time I was like, I'm going to stream it. I'm going to play it and we're just going to beat it so that I can say that. (laughs) Yeah. So that I can say that I've beaten it and actually like, accomplish this and people will stop being like what you haven't played mario sunshine you know, Gasp! It, it's one of those games i feel like that people get offended and i think rightfully so it was kind of a you know the gamecube era mario game but right, right i think one of the things that turned me off was the very different mario mechanic of like having the whole water pump thing and the having flood. water defeat enemies instead of the traditional jump punch yeah. kick thing um I Not think to mention, as with most 3D Mario as well, like, like up, up to date, even today, uh, the movement mechanics were kind of a 
jerk to you depending on where you were standing right yeah so and that's really the the thing that i've i've had problems with in super mario sunshine was it's just been well one the camera still sucks like (laughs) i've I've had so many times where i'm like okay and the camera's auto rotating while i'm on top of this building and i can't like actually keep it locked to where i need to see where i'm going (laughs) um there's a bunch of these like secrets levels where it's like a platforming level within the level that takes away right. your water pump so right, you can't right, right. like do the water hover thing which the game has basically trained you as a vital mechanic and mm-hmm. so you have to like do classic mario 3d platforming wall jumping and stuff which i'm not the best at it admittedly but also it's just like really punishing in the movement especially like the side jumping where you like run to the right and then quickly go left and jump to get like a higher mm-hmm. Right. It's just thing. hard to get it to he does like activate. a backflip type thing, right? He's no, it's it's inconsistent. Like he's super mm. super floaty. So like when you go to the right and then go left, he like is in the air for almost I think a full second when you switch directions. And so like I'm not sure when in that window it like triggers his jump, but sometimes uh. I'll go like right and then left and then try to flip back to do it to the right. And he won't, it won't trigger the jump to the right and he'll just like jump normal and I'll fall off the thing or I'll accidentally do it when I'm just like changing directions and trying to like turn around and jump. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, I remember uh, 64 had a had pretty tight mechanics when it came to the, the different jump types and like the maneuvers that you could pull off. Yeah. I, I really appreciated the controls for 64 and I just feel like Mario Sunshine struggles a lot with that, at least in mm-hmm. my experience. And I, it's also it, it's just a hard game like i i'm not gonna say that i'm a great 3d mario platforming game player you want the wizard it, it it is it is a difficult and punishing and challenging game especially some of those platforming levels when they're like all right you got to do this and this block is rotating and you've got to like parkour up it and then there's one that there's a giant sand bird that you're on top of that literally oh, like yeah I don't know how you're supposed to beat that because you're I can't to jump on the clouds, man. You gotta, I you did. Gotta, you gotta float the board, bird, float the clouds, clouds. I, wow. I jumped on the cloud and then <laughs> I tried to difficult. jump back on the bird and then it just, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But oh, the bird will physically rotate. So you like, you can't stand on it for, for yeah. any given amount of time. Right. My yeah. more recent experience with Mario games or at least 3d Mario games has been with Mario galaxy, which is a fantastic game. Really? Um, Quick point to make on that: those uh, those uh, platforming levels that you hate in Super Mario Sunshine were actually the precursor levels. Those were the earliest levels of Super Mario Galaxy. That, that really? That came for the Wii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took uh, they basically took that whole concept around those like side levels and they made a game around it. And that's wow. how you got the the, the floaty space stuff because that's that's basically what you're looking at, right? When you're playing yeah. those platforming levels, you're looking at platforms that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You just brought them from space. That's where that concept hmm. came from. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, the Galaxy games are definitely fantastic. And then I played a little bit of Mario 3D World, the Wii U one, but I've never played Mario Sunshine. So it's interesting to hear that it's really difficult. <laughs> it is. And it's it's definitely, I'm, I've gotten frustrated with the game and I'm to the point where I'm like, I just want to beat it. I want to beat the story and complete it. I don't care how many sunshines I need to get. I just want to get enough so that I can continue with the game. And you just have to get like 60 total to like finish it. I don't know. We'll find out. But I did discover, I finally found the place where you turn in blue coins to get shines. Oh, hey. <laughs> Which I didn't I didn't know where to find it because where you go in to get it is like on the side of a building that has a level. And I just right. never mm-hmm. 
thought to go in the building and someone in chat was like uh it's that building and i was like oh thanks <laughs> my objective yeah. basically is like every time i play to try and get five shines because I, I usually play about an hour or a little more and okay. i feel like that's reasonable and this last time i played i got really stuck because like on most of the levels i met one of the secrets and i just can't do the platforming and it got frustrating and i was like i don't want to keep doing this because this is just frustrating yeah and I so think that's the point that i got to with galaxy is that i beat like sort of the main story and then i got to some of the challenge levels and like the luigi levels and it was like nope yeah can't i have do this <laughs> i haven't played galaxy but i've i've heard good things i really i haven't played any i think mario sunshine is the most recent 3d mario game that i've played i've played the like wii u side-scrolling one and the Wii side-scrolling one and whatnot. I think I just much prefer the 2D side-scrollers of Mario games as opposed to the 3D ones. Mario 64, I think, excluded. That's a pretty right. good one, but... Oh, yeah, because isn't there, like, there's new Super Mario Brothers Wii and there's, like, new, new Super Mario Brothers Wii U something or whatever right, it's called? Right, right, but that's completely separate from 3D Mario World. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. A, a, like um, isometric. Which I do right. really like that one. Um, and they have some interesting mechanics in there. With you could like fly the dragon around and there isn't there like surfing too? What? Yeah, you, you you ride the uh you ride the dragon. You ride the dragon mm. through water. That's what, that's what it is. You don't fly. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Um that is that is an interesting sounding mechanic. It's 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 definitely meant to be cooperative because there's mm-hmm. a bunch of stars that you need to get like to do the full completion of the game that you gotcha. can't get up high enough unless you time at least two jumps at the same time. Hmm. So oh. um because the you, you if, when you jump at the same time on the freaking uh, dragon, you'd get higher ground. Um, I'm almost done with the bonus levels in 3D World, um, trying to get the full completion. Very close, but it's so freaking hard towards the end. <laughs> so <laughs> is it so freaking hard? Huh? I I really I don't even think I've seen any gameplay of it. Honestly, is it more like 64, or is it like you select uh, levels like Mario World? You select levels more like Mario World. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but you run through the, the stage. It's like kind of sort of like an, like a fixed angle, um, camera that like slides along the stage, but the world oh. itself is 3d. So it's like, I, that's why I would say it's more oh. of a symmetric game than anything. Okay. Um, but then I the, think the stage is like float in space kind of thing. Don't yeah. They? Okay. I, th- I think, yeah, I think I have yeah, actually uh, seen some but like, the, like they're their own like big worlds too. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, so you, you there's, there's a lot of like. It's really tight controls, actually, for like complaining about 3D Mario games. It's like and like be, it being a 3D isometric game. It's very, very well controlled, and um, it's fun to mess with the, the people you're playing with. <laughs> Shove them off of uh, off of the stage or whatever. After you do the life cheese, because that's the only way to play that game. You have to cheese yourself for 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 ten thousand nine hundred and eighty lives. <laughs> that's <laughs> specific the struggle with playing co-op on some of the the newer ones. Was that you just get in each other's way so much? Especially if you're playing four player, like it's just yeah. ultra chaos. Yeah, that's yeah. why you gotta do the live cheese. I'm pretty sure I still have my save file with a bunch of freaking lives on on the on the weed that I'm I'm leaving. How does the live here. cheese work? You know, you you leave your lives around until that you until generate moldy mushrooms, just so they pasteurize, and then and then you, you slice it and you try to get the slice smaller and smaller. No, um, <laughs> there's like on Excellent. the on the early early level stages, you can you can force a Koopa to land between a wall. And um, it's like an acrobatics, oh. and you can like jump on it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Repeatedly. After oh. you get to what is it? How many coins? Um, uh, at the repeated jump, oh, okay, the, yeah. the coin you earn becomes a life. You just stand yeah. on that for like ten minutes, and then you have more lives than you'll ever need. 
Nice. <laughs> bouncy, 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 bouncy. The Koopa is a bouncy castle. I'll have to look into 3D Land then. That sounds it's it's more like a traditional Mario platformer, except it's just 3D. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. 2D side scrolly. That, could, might be, enjoy that, that. could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I think and, I have uh, actually seen some footage of it now that I think about it. So. It's fun to play co-op too, so you wouldn't have to play alone. That would be fun. Yeah. Yep. Which would be fun for streaming as well, because then just chaos and murdering your friends. Yeah. That's that's for the Wii U? Yes. Wii U. Okay. Yes. I'll look into that. For sure. How yeah, about, I've been yeah, playing yeah. Um, <laughs> a little bit of Gungeon, a lo- lot of different stuff, actually. A little bit of Gungeon, a little bit of FTL, a little bit of Overwatch, you know, some Rocket League with you guys. It's been good. Had a nice variety recently. But um, the, the FTL has been really interesting. I played some of the advanced content or the... If you're yeah. not aware of FTL, they released a um, free expansion pack, what, mm-hmm. it was like it was a year or so ago, um, with a whole bunch of new content. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, some of it makes the game a little more challenging, but yeah, I had a very like ion-based ship, which basically meant I was able to disable a lot of enemy ship systems, but my damage was super, super low. So by the time I got to like the late game, I was really, really struggling to get through some of those last encounters, and I eventually ended up dying on the final level. But it was a really good run. Um, I had these these interesting creatures in my crew who didn't require oxygen, and they drain oxygen from the rooms around them. Um, so... The advanced content is definitely pretty cool. There's a lot of like new encounters and just new events that I saw. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely excited to continue playing it. I've really been enjoying it. Yeah, I uh, I actually had no idea that that all this all this new stuff was new stuff. I very recently started playing FTL, even though I've had it in my library for God knows how long. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, oh, this is cool. I, I like, for instance, the met the clothing bay is new, right? That's 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 a new addition to the I think advanced. So. Thing. Yeah. Um, I just I just thought that was a thing. I thought it was like it's a very very enjoyable game. It's very difficult, and apparently there's a hard mode now, which wasn't used didn't used to be there. Um, I can't I can only imagine trying to play the game. On that I yeah I've, I've never gotten I've anywhere beat beyond it my easy. first time. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then today you guys, we you guys have won right. You guys have beat the game. That's only yeah. on easy. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I've I've beaten it a couple times on easy with a few different ships, but I think two or three of my victories were like. It, it, a mutual victory failure like my ship died when their ship died oh <laughs> oh goodness does it just give you a victory what happens yeah well because it doesn't care if you live you just have to destroy their ship so you still win oh. but like it, it came right. down to where they had like <laughs> one health left and they had just fired missiles and i had three health left so it was like okay oh. we'll see if my shots land and they did so <laughs> that's kind of destruction yeah and then today we also discovered that gungeon actually they installed a save button on the end of each floor when you take yeah. the elevator down. That's new. You used to just be able to leave. Yeah, I saw that um that was that happened with the supply drop update that came mm-hmm. earlier last week. Do you have any idea of that the reasoning behind that is? I can't imagine that, that game was already too easy. Like <laughs> just I, I think just so that you could like save and quit and come back later to the run right. if it took a Wait. long time. You used to be able to do that just by leaving the game, no? You, you'd come back to, like, whatever checkpoint you were at. Like, it would drop you on the teleport pad, right? Depending on how many rooms you'd cleared. I thought so. That's what I thought it did, too. I I don't know. I I really only got into Gungeon, like, literally a day before the update <laughs> happened. Oh, so yeah, that's right. So you I, and I haven't, I haven't played enough, <laughs> or I haven't gotten far enough in where I felt the need to stop in the middle of a run. So, I mean... That's I would usually... rage quit all the time. 
it's well, whenever I like whenever I like get into that. any sort of run with a game like FTL or Gungeon, it's just I, I'm committed until the end of it. Really, it's hard to stop. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to come back. I have I think I've done that with FTL, but I came back and I'm like I have no idea what I was doing, and then I like died. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, but I'm definitely excited to try out some of the new content. Um, I played Gungeon when it first was released, and definitely really enjoyed it, but started getting to a point where like I wasn't really making that much progress and I was just sort of grinding the Gemini credits. Um, but then with the new content, I'm definitely excited to play some more of it and probably stream a little bit more of it too. It was fun watching the stream it the other day. Yeah, for sure. it, it's a, it's definitely one of the games that I really enjoy seeing streamed. I think really just about any roguelike is fun to watch. Yeah, because they just have play. such a dynamic experience. And you know me, I'm always a sucker for roguelikes. Yeah. As we talk about two roguelikes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to be a recurring topic here on, on the cast of the pod. Uh, speaking of content updates, how about that uh, Capture the Rooster? Hey, have you guys have you guys talked about that on stream? Oh, in Overwatch. Yeah, so for um, <laughs> Overwatch's uh, New Year's update, or the, the Chinese, like, Chi- Chinese Lunar, New Year's, yeah. Lunar, yeah. Lunar, Lunar New Year. Yeah, they... Um, added a capture the flag mode as just like a arcade thing so it's basically it's not uh it's its own separate like queue that you go in and play capture the flag and they have like three different looking maps for um well one of them is a regular map it's the like tower Lijiang tower yeah the Lijiang tower but it actually I actually haven't played the mode at all so <laughs> actually all three of them are it is it's just the different stages of the capture the oh, point except yeah. with capture the flag i didn't actually notice that i thought that they were different maps but they're totally just whatever anyway point being it's uh, capture the, the flag and overwatch is tower is a little bit like fancy pants stuff because they do that but yeah fancy I, pants stuff yes like there's like fireworks and stuff everywhere like it looks all, all a lot more festive yeah for uh, the lunar new year thing for the holiday um, um but, but it's yeah. yeah it's uh it's interesting playing capture the flag could you you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that dantian well it hasn't been a very positive one it definitely makes me <laughs> understand why it is that, that game is that game mode isn't in the official release um what i find um okay they've done this thing where um there's you have to sit on the flag and wherever it happens to be standing um which is very far in like the like the defensive like just right outside the spawn uh, for the enemy team, you have to sit and stand on this platform for I think three seconds before you can capture the flag. So you, before you mm-hmm. can pick it up, right? So you can move it. Um, which ends up having the effect of if any, there's any turrets all, or around or anything or anybody that can get to you alongside that turret, just get shot a couple times, you're dead. You can't pick up the flag. You can't get it out. You can't get it out. It's just like really like tight area where. The spawns are right there. You can get a pick or two, but spawns are gonna come right out, right in front of you. And the other problem that I'm that I'm seeing is that if you do in fact get it out of the base, um, once once you are out, there's so many tight corridors that you can run through that nobody can touch you on the way back. Yeah. Um, so you basically I'm, just like once you get it out of the main like capture point, you're just home free. Pretty much. Pretty Especially much. if you're a fast character. Event. Exactly. Yeah. Once Even you if you're not, up, you got it. Honestly. No, like I, I've gotten a number. Get out. Of, yeah, I've gotten a number of flag caps as Roadhog. So oh. you don't so have to be you fast. Go. You just have to actually pick up the flag and then not get killed. Yep. But Which is why the, then you can just like stick a bunch of shields around the area and the yeah. game just stalls out. 
That's definitely so. There, there seems to be two sides of the coin. You have the dug-in defenses with turrets, bastions, just camping the flag in these tight corridors, and the maps are like quite small for capture the flag. There's no real right. like what you were saying. There's no real dynamic like play going on. It's once you know you have a very short distance between points. So there's no real right. teamwork to necessarily like get the big, flag long back. Open corridor where you can get mm-hmm. shot. That's what's necessary in this kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah, and and so you have like this thing where it's just stack a bunch of shields at the enemy flag. So take a Reinhardt, and you can basically block off any chance of the team spawning and getting to the flag to defend it because you have a shield there. And it's actually really easy with a coordinated offensive team to get the flag, and then you can essentially deny the defenders from even being able to defend their flag so there's right. that aspect of it. the point yeah and then there's the other aspect of everyone is super dug in defensively and nothing ever happens in the game ends in a draw <laughs> and it's yeah. it's unfortunate because i i like the you know having captured the flag makes it interesting with the different character choices that you have and i think that how they have it set up with needing a few seconds to pick up the flag and whatnot is a neat mechanic Maybe but i just think that, that the biggest tracer. Yeah, I think that just the biggest struggle, though, is the map design doesn't fit it very well. And I really think that they would have to make a specific map for Capture the Flag. Like larger maps or something? Yeah, Yeah, larger, longer. Or the other option being is you make asymmetrical Capture the Flag maps, where you have an attack and defend, which, you know is most of overwatch's attack defense aside from and then it's easier to balance because then you only have to really focus it one way it doesn't have to all be the same Um, the problem then is you just can't have the a lot of the overwatch map seems to be very corridor based you've got the straightforward approach and then you have the left and the right approach yeah and for a capture the flag you need more angles than that you really need like a behind approach and things as well yeah i'm thinking like classic halo style playing on blood gulch right you know where you have the base and the flag is in the middle of the base. So you have to be able to like cross the map to their base and like get inside their base as well, mm-hmm. which like, means that they can like defend it from the top or the high ground on all sides. But then, you know, since you have to traverse the length of the map, there's plenty of time for them to like catch up to you with vehicles or something like that. Is it like a big open area yeah. where the flag would be sitting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. not something that you see in Overwatch. You see like oh, there's, well, there's no. an arch and like, like boxes on the side. and The flag was inside a base so like the flag itself was covered but the bases were on opposite sides of this really long valley and there was okay. a big open area in the middle of the valley so you, you pick up the flag and then you're forced into a big open area okay. kind of yeah okay i think i mean i don't know that that specific map design would work for overwatch just because then you have the problem of turrets and like that's sort of right w- it's you a have different that, game like, in that sense right but i i get i get what you're going for in terms of the map needs to be specifically designed thinking about mm-hmm. how capture the flag would work in overwatch and i think maybe having you know, a, a two-sided CTF isn't going to work for the game, but I think that they could definitely try and do an attack-defend-capture-the-flag style, an asymmetrical map designed for capture-the-flag. Yeah. I think that's something that they could do if they were interested in, you know, seeing it forward. But They definitely seem to have placed a big emphasis on, like, learning from how the game evolves um, so far, so, you know, hopefully this as a test will allow them to see what they need to fix to make it work as a game mode. Yeah, because I do enjoy it. I just think that, yeah, in the current iteration of things, it, it doesn't it doesn't really fit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, Always looking for big new stuff from Blizzard. <laughs> so, Dantian, do you have a particular 
item of discussion that we wish to discuss? Uh, I mean, I was just, uh, I was thinking about this offhandedly. Um, Bethesda games. I am a, I'm a big fan of uh, the, the Fallout series. Well, uh, have historically been a big fan of the Fallout series. Um, okay. But I've also uh, dabbled in the Elder Scrolls series. I've, I've only, well, I guess only in Skyrim, which is considered to mm-hmm. be one of those big everybody loves games, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's come out on what six, seven, seven different systems. Like, <laughs> um, yep, absolutely. It is coming to the Switch too. So um, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that so many people love that. But I sit down and I play that game, and I find myself wishing I was holding a laser rifle or a plasma rifle so I could so I could melt my uh, whatever dragon happens to be in Fallout style. Instead. Yeah, instead. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't know. I was just hoping. To, I don't know, get some get some discussion going about how, how like what is it about those Elder Scroll games that like did it for you guys that, that maybe played it a little bit more than I did versus like what I got out of the same developer, just different IP. You know, I you know, we've talked about this in the past a decent amount, and I think it's partially like what your first experiences were with open world games. Definitely. Um, for me, like I actually was never even able to get into Skyrim as I what as I was able to get into Oblivion. And that's not to say that Skyrim is a worse game than Oblivion. It's just that I played Oblivion first, right? And so when I, the first game that I was like, wow, look at this massive open world and look at all this stuff I can do was really Oblivion for me. So like, you know, there's a certain amount of extra investment that you get from not having had those experiences before. So I think that when people like play Fallout 3 first, for example, because that was the rivalry then was Fallout 3 versus Oblivion. Um, You know, people who had played Fallout was like, well, this is, this is the open world game that I'm, I'm really identifying with. And Oblivion seems like a knockoff. And, like, I've known so many people who have... It's, like, either one way or the other, it seems like. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, honestly, I would definitely concede and say that, that Fallout probably came out of the Elder Scrolls. It's probably more so how it came. <laughs> At least and, from Bethesda's development. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah, and that was really the, the difficulty that I had with it. Is So I definitely I, I played Oblivion first, loved the game, spent hundreds of hours playing it. And when I tried playing fallout 3 which i was excited for i'm like this is cool it's sort of like you know open world but like oblivion but with guns and stuff was how i approached it right and when i got into it i was really disappointed by the gunplay and i think that was really the big turnoff for me the world i felt not super immersed in i kind of didn't care about the fallout 3 world very much i was there and i was like okay so right apocalypse fallout terrible cool but like I couldn't really get into the whole like mutant thing and whatnot, and I th- I think that some of that could definitely be coming off of you know having played Oblivion and really liking that, and because the gameplay is so so similar between the two, because right. they use basically the exact same engine at it least feels at that like point, the exact same engine, totally. Different. Um, I mean, and, it's a different implementation of the same engine, pretty exactly. much. Yeah, right. And so when you have a, a gun and you're shooting a thing in fallout 3 for me i was like this just doesn't feel good like it didn't feel good to shoot the gun unless you were using vats and then it was like watching a movie so you weren't really even playing at that point and it could also be when i was playing fallout 3 i was also very much into halo 3 which Mm. is if i haven't already disclosed my bias enough (laughs) on this podcast my all-time favorite game and favorite first person shooter and so I think that a number of those factors kind of combined really made it difficult for me to get into Fallout 3. So you came into it spoiled from uh, from the fantastic gunplay yep. of Halo uh, and 
expecting expecting something more more engaging i, I, guess. I think Honestly, i was just expecting something more satisfying like even playing borderlands which you know is is sim- similar in in gunplay just in regards to it's not like you know headshot instant kill type of thing the enemies have health and the guns have stats the gunplay in borderlands feels satisfying and i don't necessarily i wasn't expecting fallout 3 to play like halo 3 but i think i was just expecting something that felt satisfying whereas it felt like i was playing oblivion with guns i think honestly was kind of how i felt about it and i wasn't (laughs) and then when when you've played oblivion first and you've really been into it it always seems like it's oh well this is just kind of i should just be playing oblivion as is yeah Yeah. as opposed to the flip side of that where if you played fallout first then you play oblivion or something or skyrim and you're like this is like fallout but where are the guns why can't i shoot things (laughs) yeah i was gonna say i pretty much the exact same uh, reaction to uh, uh, for me it was Skyrim because I never played Oblivion. I saw someone right. play Oblivion, but STU did the Fallout Three basically. It's it's funny too because I would say the feature that I cared about the most for Oblivion was actually the spell creation. Yes, that was something that was so awesome because um, you could pretty much combine like almost any of the different like spell abilities together. Can you just in like like two of them or three of them or something like that or it you you could there was a there was a limit um mm-hmm. there was also a way to i think get around that limit with some sort of exploit or whatnot Jeez. even on console <laughs> um but i i just i just know that it it was cool and really had a lot of potential but it was still very limited which is why yeah. it was something that i was hoping would be in skyrim but they did yeah, not kind of completely took it out jump. unfortunately um but yeah, I really like that. And I remember that we sort of played the Mages Guild quests somewhat like the main storyline sometimes. Um, yeah. It, it was definitely a, a kind of cool structure for that quest. As remember, That's mostly what I remember about Oblivion, um, apart from the fact that some of the DLC was really awesome, especially the Shivering Isles. Um, yes. But good. what I liked about the Mages Guild was that, you know, you had to go to all the towns. You know, we've talked about this talking about Skyrim as well, that, you know, one of the gripes that we had was that the quests really took you all over the map and it made it it made it so that you really wanted to just like abuse the fast travel to actually do things like we were talking about the thieves guild right yeah um but f- what i liked about Obl- oblivion was that you know you'd go to each town with the mages guild but the things that you'd have to do were at least fairly close to that area um so like you'd go somewhere you'd maybe do some quests in that area you'd solve whatever problem you needed to solve for the mages guild you'd wrap up your business in that town and then you traveled down the road to the next town and do it again, but different. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it definitely felt like more of a journey. And then, you know, eventually you wind up in the capital now doing kind of like the main mages guild quest line. So it's like, it definitely feels like there's a natural progression. Um, and it it really just felt very, very good as a series of quests and as a, as a plot line. It was pretty interesting too. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought much about the mages guild quests from oblivion just because I think about, mostly skyrim just because i've played it more and have played it more recently and just mm-hmm. how grand and cinematic the, the the mages guild quests were in skyrim like by comparison they really kind of felt like their own story mission like yeah in and of itself like that could have been the main story to the game but um, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that when i played skyrim all i did was play for for some guild or the other that's, that's yeah that's all i did um yeah the main story Actually, no, I never got through the main story, now that I think about it. Yeah, I don't think I ever beat the main story for Skyrim either, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Um, um, I, I did, 
Uh, because whenever, when I played Oblivion, I did the same thing. I had a character who did literally everything. And I, when I first played Skyrim, I did literally everything. Um, and it's okay. It's not, it's not the best. It feels like a, a story that was kind of unnecessary. You know, it like cool dragons are back. Here's the reason why, but it just, I think they tried to make it into this bigger dramatic thing than it kind of needed to be. But it doesn't it really this, like mesh with the rest of the gameplay. Yeah, it kind of became this like the dragon's going to bring the apocalypse and we're all going to die. Okay, and then you you fight the dragon and you beat the dragon and the dragon is like immortal so you can't kill it so you have to die to kill the dragon and it's just like I don't know, it 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 does it didn't really feel like a a great story. But I again, I you know, I don't know that I super thought that the the main story for oblivion was all that great either like it was it was cool and interesting but i really liked the thieves guild quests in oblivion oh and the dark brotherhood too the well like stealing the elder scroll and doing like this huge grand heist mission like Mm -hmm. that was cool and that felt like legit when you were doing that whereas the thieves guild quest and skyrim just felt really kind of sad by comparison but i mean again it's different game different times and oblivion being the first we played of course we're going to have some rose-colored glasses for it but oh for sure (laughs) um i'm actually i'm interested uh so have you played fallout 4 yeah um not Uh, not as happy with that as as with uh fallout 3 or new vegas not really nope um i haven't finished it i have every piece of dlc uh i got that for christmas two years ago i got the, the game and the season past two years ago right and i have not finished it i finished the main storyline through through one path but there's still so much to do there's still so so much to do and i nothing about the characters makes me want to go back and and keep doing their quests you know mm-hmm. um in the previous fallout games and i guess it's the same sort of feeling that you got from the mage quest line um you'd you'd go to a town and you do absolutely everything for everybody there was to do there and they would send you on places fairly close to, send you to places fairly close by, but they would give you a reason to go there, right? They would they would they would tell you, um, there, there's like a, a camp of super mutants here who happens to be kidnapping uh, people from this town, and we don't know what they're doing with them, but could you find out why? And you go there and you realize that they're kidnapping them to convert them into more super mutants, and you're like, what? Um, <laughs> Versus where I feel like in Fallout 4, you you get there and you don't know... First of all, you don't know why you went where you were going, apart from Preston Gravy told you that there's another settlement under attack, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and, and you get there and everybody's like, thank you, stranger. Here's some water. And then you leave. It's like, I haven't done anything yet. Yes. Like, you kill, like... I've killed, like, three things and now I'm good. And and I had I had... I felt no satisfaction... Um, hmm. no, like, sense of accomplishment. There's a lot more, like, customization, I suppose. Like, uh, people got really into, like, the settlement builder thing. But I, I, I like city builder games, but I wasn't enjoying this. I wasn't enjoying the Minecraft style, like, put together a little town from scratch. Um, yeah. I, I, it, it became a lot less about the story, I feel. Huh, that's um, funny and, because... And you lose the investment that way, yeah. Exactly. And, like, the characters were a lot less flushed out. I I, I think... I, I've watched a number of streams of Fallout 4 because I was interested in it more so than I was Fallout 3. Uh, and yeah. I, I think I, I think I kind of get where you're coming from with the characters. Just I, 
at least a lot of the main characters that I saw, I didn't like any of them. I was like, they're all kind of extremists in their own right. And yeah. they all kind of just like made me angry at them. And, they're, and, and, <laughs> and because they're the so point. extreme, they're very flat. There's like nothing yeah. to them. There's no dimension to the Because it's like they're t- totally defined by their particular viewpoint. And like, that's the only thing that is. Yeah, this is what they're about. Like, they like, didn't, yeah, I, they didn't feel like no human. dimension to them. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because the thing that actually made me most interested in Fallout 4 was seeing like the weapon customization and the like town building stuff. <laughs> Those were the two things that I was like, this actually seems really cool. And I did notice an improvement in the gunplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Insta- yeah, they, they they definitely tried to make the gunplay look a lot cleaner, feel a lot flashier too. So in that regard, it, it seemed like it, it, it played a bit more like a shooter. Um, I just can't play it because my computer's a potato. <laughs> so potato. Um, I like potatoes. Who doesn't, man? Some good carbs. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, you said there's a lot more fetch quests too. It was pretty much all a fetch quest. Every single quest in that game was go here, do this, come back with this thing. Like, oh man. It, it, and um, maybe I needed to play more specific quest lines maybe i needed to read more terminals or something but you know what i don't want to have to read every single part of the story i like having to like having to search for like here and there like like little pieces of detail but like when all your story is put into a hollow tape that you have to read it's yeah. it's, a little it's like you're separating from... yourself from the actual interaction of the game to get the story element it's like they're making the story just like a side thing you can do. Like you can do all these fetch side quests if you want, or you can do all these collectibles if you want, or you can care about the storyline if you want. But the main gameplay is something else. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that is at this point. I don't know. I don't know what they're really going for. Um, it's like, it's like at that point. <laughs> well, well, but at that point, like if you have to read so much of it to actually get a, an understanding of what's going on, like make it a book and just read the book. But like when Seriously. I play a game that has a story, I play it for the experience and being able to take an active role in what's happening, and that's one of the reasons. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, I enjoy story games for that reason is because I like the whole encompassing experience, gameplay, visual, and story all together. So like, I get having like hidden things or like little bits that tell you secrets or other aspects of the story around. But like, you know, don't yeah. make me read the entire story. <laughs> yeah, and you need to be able to feel like you're actions have an impact on the world exactly and to give you that investment because like if you can just build a town um you know you need something to invest yourself in that town and i guess you know that's probably what they're we're trying to do with the building mechanics in general but um like you made this this is yours but that, that wasn't enough it wasn't yeah enough. like it, it has to interact with the world of the gameplay or or the characters in some way i think for it to really sink into that next level obviously like you still get something out of it right i'm saying i'm not saying it's totally useless but to get that like next level of immersion, it needs right. it needs to sink in with the with the characters and with the storyline. Yeah. Uh, like you were saying that um, when you were talking about Oblivion, um, that you fell into this like the the story, but you didn't necessarily fall into it for the main storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel like for me, when I played Fallout Three, I was super invested in finding my dad. I really wanted to know what happened to him and what he was doing. And every time I felt like I was getting close, he was further away and you get little, little like bits of information to try to put a piece of your puzzle and puzzle together. And then when you finally do, you realize what person your dad is and like what he's up to and, and, and everything you've done up until that line, up until that point, like decides who your allies are. And, and as you're, as you're going into the end and your personality 
dictates what you can do in those final moments that decide whether or not the super mutants win the uh the enclave wins which is the old government or everybody fucking gets free water like that's that's those those are like the last three like <laughs> things you can do and that's but the, the they're barred one option gets barred depending on how you decide to play the game huh. um <clears throat> and uh i don't know it, it 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 sucked me in from like beginning to end i played all of it all the dlcs um mothership zeta was probably my favorite if that falls into the Fallout 3 one, where you go into space and you kill aliens, you literally just kill aliens. Um, <laughs> and you, you 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 run into a band of um, uh, of people that they've abducted, and it's just different people from different cultures throughout like ages. So there's like a Mongol from the <laughs> from the Han dynasty, and there's like some guy that was um, that was uh, kidnapped from a space mission. So he's wearing an old school Russian space suit, and he speaks only in Russian. Um, and, and you have to cooperate with these people. It's like, it's like a baseball player too, that like disappeared. It was Babe Ruth. It's Babe Ruth. Some motherfucker. Headcanon Babe Ruth. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh. Well, speaking of going to space, um, (laughs) space question mark. Yeah. So we, we, uh, we wanted to talk about space games this episode because, we'd been playing well i guess mostly ftl but we've been playing a number of space games ourselves and just thinking like with the upcoming release of mass effect andromeda and kind of oh yeah visiting on some of that stuff uh we just thought we would talk about some of the space games that we've played and what we've enjoyed about them and you know just i guess kind of what what it is that makes a space game a space game as opposed to just like a science fiction game like when we when we're talking about games we're like yeah we're playing a space game like what what is it that makes a game in space is it, it just ta- the fact that it's in space or is it that there's spaceships or- well, i mean theoretically most games take place in a space of oh, one ha. one form or another hardy har har i don't have like a want 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 noise to play but just in space games that. just take place in empty space <laughs> yeah there you go so it's actually I mean, like an unspace game <laughs> it's an ungame uh oh, no they're definitely still games they're just unspace right well I don't know. Well, I, I guess if I think back to the very first space game that I ever played, it probably has to be Galaga. There you, know, you go. In 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 the laundromat because that's where that's where I went to go <laughs> play my video games while Space while, Invaders. Yeah, Space Invaders or Galaga. Um, nice. For me, it was for sure Galaga. I still remember the fucking rundown machine while I was waiting for my mom to to do the laundry. She would give me a couple spare quarters, and I'd get a couple lives on Galaga. And I remember that's being awesome. so bad. I remember being so freaking bad, just like tiny old me who could just barely see the screen, mashing on the fire button, dying instantly. <laughs> yes, I, um, I'm not super th- familiar with it. So it was like a top-down bullet hell kind of thing. Yes, pretty much. Um, yeah, very similar to Space Invaders, except just faster paced, and mm-hmm. the the enemies had unique movements. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're not like a tank on the ground; you're flying through. Yeah, in space. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's pretty definitely space but even though you're like a, a still ship and things are moving so like you. kind of like island hopper almost actually but yes yeah that that style of game yeah, uh sure. like, yeah galaga honestly i i hadn't thought about that but it definitely is one of my like you know retro favorites and i i had a similar experience playing it in i don't remember what it was i think it was like there there was um this like castle place in town 
that had like a mini golf course underneath it and there was like a restaurant or something in the upper floor but in the mini golf mm. course underneath they had like a couple arcade machines there and i'm pretty sure i played galaga there a number of times my my grandpa and i went there to play mini golf and um mini golf I, i'm sure i played galaga somewhere else as well but definitely I, I have some fond memories of galaga again i think i was also terrible at it but it was just <laughs> fun to play and i liked the music and the sounds the music so. was so good Oh man, I feel like I'm missing out on just like all of the history here. Really, you didn't get to see, you didn't get to play in cabinet games. Just um, something you got to see. I don't know, not really, not a ton. Oh, you could totally find a place that has all these cabinet games. Right? Yeah, like, I like, remember playing this one like dinosaur-based fighting game. What? But I don't really dinosaur? remember anything else about it except that like it was seemed sort of like you know retrospectively like Mortal Kombat except with like characters <laughs> that like transformed into dinosaurs. Oh god, that sounds awesome <laughs> whoa man i yeah because oh, there was a anything. there was an arcade uh in town for a while called the space station i don't know uh i, I know my dad and i went a lot i don't know if you ever came practical or not but i don't remember so i don't think so it was actually it was kind of over by um shoot where where was it? It's, oh, it's over by where uh, the Bear's Tooth is now, actually. Oh, really? It was like, uh, I think it's now a Plato's Closet or Brown Jug or something. It used to be in that building there hmm. for a couple of years. I remember then, playing arcade games in the movie theater. Yeah, that was that was a thing. That too. had actually the largest arcade I was aware of. No, we, we definitely had like a legit arcade for a while. I think now that they're getting a Dave and Buster's up there. Hmm. But, That'll happen. Sure. Dave and Buster's is pretty cool. Yeah, nowadays it's like Land Cafe is kind of like um, what Howie's is kind of the big thing down here in California. I've never been. Actually. Or maybe it's just like um, Orange County, but yeah, but they just cool. have like ten million gaming PCs. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to one, but that would be pretty neat. Yeah, just go with all your friends and play COD all together. <laughs> COD. <laughs> that's, that's the of one you pick of all the of games, all the games, games. Play, I'm disappointed in you <laughs> what is wrong with me although if, I, if, I, if I'm completely honest the first game that I ever played like on land because I went to a boarding school and everybody was on the same land was uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare that was the first yeah. game that I, I mean, we pretty much did the same thing but with Halo yeah yep, definitely um, it, just, was... it was nice because you could play online with guests whereas in COD you couldn't well, we all had it on our own computers. Well, actually, to be honest, oh. a pirated copy was going around. Everybody had it. The exact oh same pirated goodness. copy. Yep. Uh, but like, You wouldn't download a car. Fuck yes, I'd download a car. <laughs> yeah. Dude, 3D, 3D print me a car, like, right now. <laughs> Go for Copyright it. infringement. You can't. Oh, well, yeah. then make one small, tiny flaw. No, but then somebody's going to come out with an open source car. Like... I'm sure. Seriously. I'm sure. Someday there'll be an open source car Just available. We have the garage size printer. <laughs> this is this um, is the future. Like just <laughs> printing your own food, printing your own necessities, and you just buy the blueprints mm. to it, essentially. Yeah, Come on, just, man. I thought this was the future. We have to like figure out a way to make Soylent, though. We need Soylent. No, no we really don't. There is a product food. called Soylent. Of course there's the a product. Yeah, it's It's like... Meal replacement shakes, and I'm like, why did you choose that name? <laughs> talk about like sci-fi apocalypse nightmares, just to like come full circle on all of our topics for today. But holy cow, there's already a product called Soylent. I mean, why? I, think the, I think that's the point. It's like halfway a joke. I, I would, yeah. Hope so. So. <laughs> Is that, that a joke? It's actually I'm made concerned. out of humans? Question mark. <laughs> 
so I, I'm pretty sure it's made out of soy. <laughs> it is. It is. It's spelled soy. S O Y. Soyland. Ah oh, man. Drink. Soyland powder. Healthy, convenient, affordable food. Right. Oh, and then there's a Gizmodo article that says what we know about why Soylent products are making people sick. Okay, closing <laughs> the tab now. We're done. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, that's apparently not a thing you can do. You can't make a meal replacement. <laughs> Unless uh, it's out of people. Unless so, it's out of people. Because, you know, organic Just materials. the critical nutrients that are only found in people. <laughs> cannibalism aside uh i think so one of the things that usually makes a space game a space game is being set in In space the the future no we already covered the in space thing (laughs) cut me a break every now and then maybe just sometimes Um, so like kind of blending it with sci-fi a little bit as a genre yeah I, i i think that that goes hand in hand whether it's like an already established thing like star wars or star trek or it's the kind of like getting to space type of deal like a journey or a mission um and really there's so many different like it's not even fair to really call space games like a genre because there's so many different genres of games contained within within you know there's like strategy games there's yeah elite something like elite dangerous is more of like a space sim traditionally um but then you have games like galactic civilizations or stellaris you know more recently which are kind of the 4x or strategy type um, there's games like XCOM, like which are definitely sci-fi, and there are aliens, so that it could it could fit under a definition. Although it doesn't take place actually in space, it takes place mostly on Earth. But the aliens are in space. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's definitely it's definitely not a genre. I think it's def- just more of a, like a, a theme or setting. Theme, like what yeah. you were saying is that it's it's part of the, the the setting and the framework for the game in which to take place. So I mean it's it's un it's unfair i think to try and classify games as a space game except that it yeah takes place in space or that's like a a vital component to it somehow because i mean like thinking about star wars games there's a number of star wars games that i wouldn't classify as a space game because space plays a very like minimal role star wars force unleashed but the the whole universe is still extremely dependent on the existence of space (laughs) so right i I, you know using space as a means of of traveling or a setting i guess Mm -hmm. would make sense like ftl is set in space therefore i would consider it a space game but like the force unleashed is while it is in space you're not in space like it it doesn't really (laughs) matter that it's there so i don't know i think you get to a point and you just are kind of or i'm just kind of discussing minute semantics a little bit too much but (laughs) semantics are the best it's one of those things that is just kind of interesting to look at whether it's like science fiction or space or where that sort of line is and i guess it's just a hierarchy more or less and the space aspect fits into the setting i mean i definitely think it's something that's always appealed to me just due to the potential expansiveness right when you have an entire galaxy to explore you know, that's part of the reason that we were so drawn to Mass Effect 1, right? You know, you could just go out and land on some of these planets and drive around on them. And yes, there are, you know, since then, there have been lots of people complaining about the mechanics and all all sorts of things. But at the time, it was still a really cool experience to be able to go to some of these planets and like, you know, oh, holy cow, there's like a colony here. And oh, man, I've discovered that something really fucked up is going on in this colony. And now I need to save these people or like now it's sending me to this other planet. Like, yeah. And tying actually that into the the fallout thing 
where when you go to those the planets in Mass Effect 1, you would, you know, go into an installation or something and maybe there's no one there and there's just like a couple like logs to read. Mm-hmm. And so in that instance, you're learning bits of the story that relate to another quest line or relate to something else that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's not I think that that's a way that is done well in terms of incorporating some of that like yeah. in-game reading quest logs to furthering a story so like you might not know about the other side of the story like the corrupt cerberus things that were happening in this place if you hadn't gone there and read these logs and discovered this information which then ties into you know another quest that you've been doing or following and i think that mass effect one did a really good job of having a good balance of all of that and it yeah really what makes me excited for mass effect andromeda because now you are in uncharted space like no one has ever been there before you're part of the pioneers that go there and discover it. So hmm. I'm really hopeful that the exploration is given, you know, a lot of room to breathe and make something cool from it. I want to go to a new foreign planet and just be like, look at all this cool stuff in a way that's fun and exciting and not repetitive, you know, procedural generation, no man's sky. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty cool that, like Mass Effect 1 had an emphasis there on like organic discovery of like narrative and plot elements and even just quests. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that really tied in the immersion for me. Uh, and that that's not even really something that necessarily has to be specific to like, you know, a game of galactic scale or a space game. It's just, you know, how you're weaving your plot into the gameplay itself. But but because, you know, you could end up on a planet that you'd never been before. It was this, you know, really unknown factor. I have no idea what I'm going to find here. And then when it does tie back to something that you've been doing already or events that have been going on in the universe, it really just draws you in even further. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I'm pretty excited for Mass Effect Andromeda. I don't know. On, on one level, I feel like it may... It probably isn't going to be, like, taking some of those same themes. I think it, it's going to be more of, like, a big epic, like, you're going to find something that, like, yeah. threatens the fate of this new galaxy, and, back. you know, or something <laughs> like that, Lord, honestly. If, if they like, bring the Reapers back, I'm going to be so disappointed. It's like, the Reapers are coming for every galaxy now. I'm so, but, I would be so disappointed. But no, at the same time, I really no, wouldn't be surprised. shut them down, right? That's the whole idea of the yeah. Reapers. Are oh, dead. yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised that they, they, they just had no other Just, way like, shenanigans... <laughs> no but, i just yeah. i think that i think that you're right that it'll be a big space opera dramatic galactic need to save the world type of thing just because that's kind of what the mass effect games became yeah. as they progressed <laughs> on but in spite of that i hope that there's a lot of simple things that happen Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the reasons I loved Mass Effect 1's story is because it starts out very down to earth. You know, you're trying to become a Spectre, you're trying to do this stuff and like do the good in the world for the Citadel for all this stuff. And then the story uncovers itself as you go on. But like, it's very, it, it's just, it feels much more grounded, ironic talking about space, but yeah. like <laughs> it feels much more grounded because it's, it's it feels plausible and it's not the annihilation of the whole galaxy even with the reaper and all of the epic stuff that happens at the end of mass effect one Mm -hmm. and it builds up to it yeah it builds up to it in a very like 
organic feeling way and you're like okay this reaper is big and scary but then by the time you're in mass effect 3 it's like galaxy's dead like why are we even trying <laughs> we're all everything's screwed. Good. yeah so i i i unfortunately think that it is gonna be another big huge dramatic space opera thing because i i just it from what i've seen in the trailers that's what it seems like it's gonna be but i hope that they leave room for the smaller down-to-earth side missions and quests and the things that will really make you care about the game. Mm -hmm. Because that's what matters is, like, caring about the characters and everything that makes that game world what it is, that's what really draws you into the game. And you have to love it to want to save it. Like, right? you know, if there's a world where they don't build up that investment in the characters in the universe, then you have an existential threat to the universe, and you're like, eh, I don't really care. Too much effort. The, the 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 experience with the genophage and the krogans in mass effect 3 was so huge and so yeah. pivotal of a moment because they built it up so from the well. first game yeah and that was one of those things that still felt very down to earth and like everything's being destroyed but we can do this thing for the good of all of us except the ones who are dead so, and that was still and, an epic moment but because it was tied into all these characters and people and like just issues that you had encountered throughout the entire series like it was so tied into everything the genophage yeah. was a critical part of the history of the mass effect galaxy you know um yep. and so like having those plot elements whereas like the reapers in some ways are sort of like you know it's kind of like the deus ex machina kind of thing right they just come down from out external to the story to create all this change and create all this chaos but they're not organic to the story and they're not organic to the universe yeah um, which is why I thought it would have been cool if at the end of the day it's like, yeah, the Reapers are here, but there's like other things that like matter too. But, yeah. you know, the game became entirely about the Reapers. Um, which is, is fair. And I don't, I mean, I think that they did a good job building up to it. I just think that it got, it, it got too big in the sense that I loved the world that it mm -hmm. took place in. And I wanted to get more exploration of that. Like setting foot on the Citadel for the first time. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh yeah. Whoa this is awesome, you know? And I, I don't know. It, it, it again could very well be the whole rose colored glasses, first game experience. But I do think that even Saren as the, you know, main antagonist was a very real character. Oh like, yeah. And some of the, like, I don't know how much spoilers matter here, but like some yeah. of the ending options, like if you're like super Paragon, I think you can get him to like shoot himself. Can't you? You will you get him to recognize what he's been doing, and he's like, "I can't go back. I can't do this." But it's it, it shows, you know. It's that. like it gives him some, you know, quote unquote humanity. Obviously, he's a Turian, but <laughs> yeah. But it, it definitely it, it it adds dimension to the character, which you know, kind of like Dantian, what you were saying about Fallout Four being the characters are so extreme of their goal and what they what like their mission is that they don't feel like people i think that that sort of started to become a little bit of an issue as you went in further into mass effect for the story less so for the characters because the game became about we have to do all of the side stuff to stop the reapers it wasn't we have to stop the reapers and there's all of the side stuff that still matters or that's being know? impacted by the reapers but we just still have to do it anyway because like otherwise all this other bad shit is going to happen yeah. like you know it was you know, in some ways, like a lot of the RPGs that are and stories that are most interesting is, you know, we have to save the world, but we have to not become what we hate while we're saving it. Right. Because we have to do all this other stuff. Whereas Mass Effect, it's like at a certain point, it's like, well, 
the Reapers are so bad that if we don't just do all of this stuff, like nothing else actually matters anymore. Like you get beyond a threshold. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's probably more or less true just depending on your experience with the game and you know, whether you're playing like Paragon or Renegade, right? Yeah. If you're playing more of a Renegade, that's definitely your approach, right? It just save the world at all costs or save the universe at all costs. And so you justify all this other kind of actions, but it, I don't know for, for other games, I think where, or for RPGs where your impact is more, more gradual or more incremental. Like you make, you make small changes here and there. Like you go to this city or you go to this area and you help out these specific people but then, like, over time, you see that influence played out and, you know, and that's how you make progress and that's how you make change. Like, you really start to see that organic experience over time. Whereas if if it's just like, oh, well, we got to save the world and nothing else matters, like, you tend to ignore everything else, right? Yeah. I don't know. That, that That's definitely a kind of a contrast that I've seen in a lot of RPG games. Um, you know, like we were talking about with the Elder Scrolls games, too. You know, if, if the storyline is too apocalyptic, then what then what incentive do you have to go out and actually explore this open world? Like, let's just ignore the apocalypse for a while because I can play the game for 15 hours. And as long as I don't go talk to this NPC, this quest won't advance. Like, (laughs) right. Well, and I, I think a big part of it too is, you know, not to the mass effect story was good and I did enjoy it, but it it did get to the point where it felt more like a movie and less like a game in terms of how the story was progressing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so part of, the thing that Mass Effect 1 did good was it sold me on the universe. It sold me on all of these aliens that we'd never met before. It sold me on some of their culture. And it made me want to be a part of that world, not have to go away from that world and save the galaxy. Like, I would have been totally fine if Mass Effect 2 and 3 was just more of you being a space cop, basically going around and, like, keeping order or making chaos depending on how you mm-hmm. played the game and there's so many cool storylines that could have evolved out of that you know with with villains and other characters trying to do various nefarious things like there could be yeah. many villains like there could be all sorts of enemies that you could have to face and investigate and track down and um, and so it's it's hard thinking about mass effect andromeda where we're no longer going to be in that familiar galaxy we're going to be somewhere else and i don't know how it will play out obviously but i i i just I, I hope that we feel a part of it, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that is exploring and expansive, but that we kind of care about why we're there and what we're doing. And I just, mm, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But I, I do, I do definitely anticipate it being like Mass Effect one, two, and three in terms of ramping up a story all crammed into one game. Yeah. And I would rather have, I would rather have a game more like Fallout or you know, the Elder Scrolls games, but set in the Mass Effect world. That's, I think that's kind of what I want, honestly. Something that gives you a bit more freedom, but that has directed missions and quests and whatnot, but... I mean, it really more... just has to do with, like, plot design as well, like we're saying. Yeah. If you, you know, sometimes it is hard to just have these big, epic, like, you know, world-changing storylines, and then have have something that feels natural as a side quest at the same time. Yep, you do. Yeah, definitely. Like what you'd said before is that you have to sacrifice one for the other if the main story is too apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. You know, and then on the other hand, like you know, Dantian was saying with Fallout Four, right? There's so much just like random stuff that you don't get that impact from anything, and then like you don't care about the main storyline. Exactly. 
so it, it is it's like this trade-off and i don't i don't really know what the right balance is and i think like game developers obviously they the the pendulum swings back and forth depending on what genre you're talking about or you know what era of game development you're talking about and who your publisher is mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but it definitely seems like just based on genre it, there's the more like story quote-unquote games now which those most often focus on like the big epicness and then the more open world quote-unquote games tend to have like not as well written or thoroughly written stories but then have more just like a multitude of quests yeah and I, i think that that's an interesting point you make as well because as we've talked about in the past mass effect one was much more a role playing game than two and three which were more shooters yeah and you know i i think that i think that the point you just made plays a lot into that and when you go away from the player choice and incorporation with the role-playing aspects and i don't mean just how many points you put in to level up um like the actual like conversation choices that you make yes when you get to mass effect well i don't remember if it was two or three there was a like a line option that said like I don't like this. And you basically were like, F you, I hate everything, go die. And it's like, that yeah, is no, not what I said bottom, at all. <laughs> the bottom option in red. Um, and and there, obviously yeah. there was some of that in Mass Effect 1, but I definitely felt like it was a closer tie to what I felt like I wanted to represent. Um, right. And something that I think they also did throughout the series was a lot of the mechanics that were under behind the scenes when it came to the conversation and the relationships with the characters were were more gamified in Mass Effect 2 and 3. Like, with the um like the quests for each character the yeah, what were they called definitely the, the loyalty, the loyalty quests. quests yeah like it it still happened the same mechanic was there in Mass Effect One the mechanic didn't really change that much like you still but had you, loyalty quests but it was behind the scenes it like you didn't see yeah the little like circle underneath their character that made them glow and you're like they are now loyal to me right. it was just like you knew they were loyal because you just helped them like you know mm-hmm. go go over and not make this assassination attempt that they were hired to do and you had or, to talk to them over time and like you know pick conversation options that made them not hate you as well like yeah <laughs> definitely I mean, it was probably maybe i'm overestimating over underestimating the game's ability to like give you the quest anyway but underestimating um <laughs> I definitely thought those are really cheesy pie. Like having to like at the end, if you want to have your whole crew live, you have to do every single loyalty mission. That was like, yep. yeah, okay, let me it's hear like, your life story. Like, or yeah, or if you want to live, like I, I and then I as don't soon think... as you do that, it's like, okay, I don't care about this life story, but I'm doing it for the game mechanic now. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that should factor into things, but I don't think that yeah, the game mechanic should be there in the sense that like well you need your crew to be loyal to you because if you're a renegade and you don't care about your non-renegade crew you're like i don't care about your pansy story with blah blah whatever like you know we're gonna go get more tattoos (laughs) it's just seriously (laughs) it it does kind of pigeonhole you into playing a more heroic all caring commander shepherd in that way doing all the loyalty missions which isn't to say that like a renegade shepherd wouldn't care about his crew but i think that it would, you know, it forces you to play in a direction that the role-playing aspect might otherwise not. Right. Um, I definitely think that my first playthrough of Mass Effect 1, I was like, some of the quests I just didn't do, because I was like, I don't care about this. This isn't right. important. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, you know, may, so maybe the completionist urge is also kind of the bane of that as well. Well, that's And that's that when you make problems. it a game mechanic. <laughs> but I think when you make it a game mechanic, it kicks in that completionist urge a little bit more, right? 
Uh, that's true. That's true. You know, because if you can see, you have completed nine out of 11 or however many loyalty quests, as opposed to, you know, in Mass Effect 1, you just would walk around the ship and talk to people. And it, it like, at least that's how I played it. Yeah. Eventually they'd be like, hey, so there's this thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, may, I think it maybe was still related to like your progress in some way, but it it felt a little bit more separated, at least like it. Well, it felt more organic. Yeah, it definitely felt more organic and more authentic to the development of the game and the progression of the game. It wasn't just like, I've done after this quest, now I can talk to them and activate their loyalty quest, which was basically Mass Effect 2. Do a story quest, talk to your crew, activate the loyalty quests that you can, go do them, be done with those, go do next story mission, and then just like very linearly. Yeah, it, it definitely, even just in the mission design, I noticed that they became a lot more linear. Oh, yeah. um, well, and it's again, it became shooter focused, right? And they wanted something that was more approachable. You know, so for some people, it you know, Mass Effect one is terrible and they hate it. And like Mass Effect two and three are great just because of like what they were expecting to get out of it. But I think, you know, it's funny, yeah. like we're saying, because we started with Mass Effect one, like at not having played or even realized the existence of the later ones, obviously, because they hadn't come out. Just, you know, we had a, a particular mindset that we carried through the whole series. Yeah. And it's, and it's also the, I think kind of game we're going to be more drawn to. And we've, I don't think we've talked about on the podcast a whole lot, but we've come up with many ideas over the years we've known each other about, um, the perfect shooter, quote unquote. And I think a lot (laughs) of those ideas were drawn from some of the things we liked about mass effect one. And then some of the things we didn't like about mass effect two and three, you know, but it, it definitely, I think the, the, play style and immersion aspect of mass effect one was much more our speed and something that we were engaged in whereas mass effect two and three i think were streamlined to be more approachable to a wider audience of gamers and again i've said it before and i will say it again that i think that the ea you know doing the publishing of the game had a huge impact on that and the direction that it took but definitely i mean yeah like bioware you know, before made games like KOTOR and Neverwinter Nights and like Baldur's Gate and like all these RPG based games. And, you know, they're a very different developer now. And obviously they're much more massive. They're they're reaching a much wider audience. And so their goals and the scope of what they do has changed entirely. So it's unfair to compare them directly and to compare the right. output directly. It's it is apples and oranges in that sense. But it is just interesting having played their games for like, you know, 15 years at this point seeing how things change over time, you know, and just how, how their priorities change. Yeah, for sure. Also, that's, that's definitely one style of like the sci-fi kind of space theme that we've been discussing is kind of the more, the more RPG, like first person shooter focused one. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a game out here that fits into the space game genre that is very different, which is Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> oh, okay. The object is getting to space. <laughs> <laughs> you must go to space. Um, definitely in a whole nother left field. As far as how it actually plays, like originally it was more of a sandbox game, but there's actually a lot of cool stuff in it now that um, I haven't even tried. Um, you, the, you, They have a whole simulated, like, basically NASA, and you have to like worry about funding and doing like research and all this stuff. Of oh, course, there's cool. still the sandbox mode. But yeah, I haven't it, I haven't played Kerbal Space Program before. I know you've talked about it some, but I'm I'm how 
how does it play in terms of like the sandbox mode like okay. when you're creating your ships and stuff yeah so uh, as well for the for the non-existent internet void listeners who um haven't heard of Kerbal Space Program um Kerbal Space Program is like a ship design and simulator game um where you basically try and build rockets um or various types of spacecraft and launch them from this earth analog Kerbal or Kerbin and get to like the moon or various planets or like create space stations. But it's, it's very, very challenging in the sense that like, you know, if you want your rocket to be able to get into orbit, you better damn well make sure you have enough fuel and like all these other things and make sure it flies properly. Make sure you can actually control the rocket. Cause if you can't, you're going to lose control. It's going to crash into the ground and your pilots are going to die. Um, <laughs> and, but then you try again, so it's fine. So it's a sandbox game in the sense that like, you know, you're testing these rocket designs and you build something, see what happens. And you're like, hmm, OK, let's add more fins. Let's add more rocket boosters. Let's add all these other things or whatever. Right. Um, and then you're gradually trying to increase the scope of what you can do, whether it's create a space station. Um, you can start like mining fuel off the moon, that kind of stuff. You can go to all the different planets in this like fairly accurately modeled solar system but you have to use fairly realistic orbital mechanics to actually get your spaceships there. So you have to like make sure you're able to like use space thrusters to like orient it in the right direction and like you know fire the engines and pilot it correctly as well, or else you're gonna die. Um, <laughs> physics, because physics, yeah. But what what really drew me into it at first was just like the basically the content creation sandbox in the sense that you had all of these different parts that you could put together in interesting ways and create spacecraft, um, as well as like planes. You can make planes in the game as well that operate in so many different ways. And people have modded the game. The, the game developers have hired a huge amount of the modding community, actually. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's expanded a ton over its lifetime. I played so much of it. Originally I played like 250 hours that like I got kind of, I got sick of it, but I'm kind of waited until the game came out of early access in the past year or so. Um, gotcha. And I should go back and play it again. But I, I w- I've been thinking about it. It's it's just so cool having that, like, organic experience of, you know, designing your spacecraft and, like, gradually increasing your knowledge of how the game works and how to actually get to these really challenging locations. I still can't get one of my ships in orbit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then most of the time you just spend with them exploding on the launch pad. Yes. <laughs> um, it's really sad because... Little Kerbals are so freaking cute. They're they're humanoid. They're, they're also insane. Green heads. And they have like some cute noises. They scream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a huge sucker for for cuteness. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's it definitely it's pretty cool. Um, you should you should check it out if you ever get a chance to to get your hands on a copy. I would definitely recommend it. But if you're bad at math. Maybe just watch like some Scott. Ba- oh shoot! There's math. I'm out. Where's I the mean, door? Where's the window? <laughs> I mean, you have to like. Oh yeah, there's physics and shit you have to account for. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just watch some Scott Manley. Yeah. He, he's he's pretty interesting at playing Curl Space Program. Why don't Why don't you just start playing stream it again it. and I'll just watch you play? Yeah, we'll watch you stream. Watch you yeah. fail it. Physics physics major. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be much more I think enjoyable for me than yeah. Uh, Considering this is actually like a sort of like actual like main game mode, not just a sandbox mode these days. Um, yeah, you should think about adding yeah, that to your many game lists for streams. <laughs> All the game, play every single game at the same time. Octo games. 
You could also play Octodad. I could play Octodad, which is not a space game. No, it's not. Where does Octodad come from? We should make a space mod for Octodad. He comes from an aquarium, actually. Oh. Never mind. (laughs) Makes me think of, like, Finding Dory, the octopus that, like, tries to escape. Right. Or wants to go to Cleveland or something, right? I don't remember. Ah. I, that story was super passable. Let me, let me tell you, <laughs> like it, it was fun and cute, but it was definitely yeah. adorable. But like, I was definitely much more invested in finding you know? <laughs> But it's a remake, you know. Like Absolutely. we've been talking about, sometimes just the goals change over time. Absolutely. Yep. Well, are there any other space games or just games we wanted to discuss before we kind of move toward wrapping things up? Um, I was thinking we could talk about Planetary Annihilation a little bit because it's something that we've all oh, okay. somewhat played in Does the that recent year. A space game? I would yeah. say so. <laughs> yeah, you land your Titan on a well, no, you land definitely. Your I think something that I never really got to a whole lot of in Planetary Annihilation is, which, at, for the record, is one of the few RTS games that real time strategy games that I felt okay playing and not (laughs) felt completely lost and like i'm incapable of doing anything uh which i definitely appreciated a lot about um but the the whole like orbital space fighting aspect is a really interesting layer that i only was i think sort of starting to scratch the surface back when we were playing it um but i mean i would definitely call that you know the 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 space aspect that you have to think about because it's not only like the ground war but it's the space war yeah. in orbit as well that i think it adds an, it adds an interesting layer to the strategy that uh, it's definitely challenging difficult. to manage sometimes but <laughs> yes but which is weird again that i felt the most in control of things i just you know hadn't played it a whole lot but yeah um if you're not super familiar with planetary annihilation for the viewers um listeners they're not viewers um it's kind of like supreme commander is what i've heard it described but basically you control this robot he's your commander you get orbital dropped onto a planet and you can build four different types of fabricators is it four i think bot vehicle um oh like air like tanks like sea and then orbital so there's actually more than that so there's different types of fabricators each type of fabricator um builds either buildings or like various turrets and things um but then you have like factories which build like bots which are basically like little walker robots and you can have you can build like tanks or planes or then like you know orbital ships um so it's all about production like you want to increase your production and you have to get metal and you have to get energy so you have to um put down power plants so it's a very it's a kind of a simple like two resource rts game but it's not more pylons yeah you must build all the pylons but it's nice because like the construction and the tech makes sense like you know you build the basic bot factory and so you can build the basic level bots and then you can build a fabricator from that factory to build the next level of bot factory and everything just has like the normal level and the advanced level so it's it's very clear like oh if i want to get more advanced types of units build the next thing up but they're going to be walkers because i built the bot factory right yeah um it's not like all these confusingly named buildings with like tech trees that you're like oh but you have to unlock these four things over here to unlock this unit which then unlocks this thing which like you know for somebody who hasn't played starcraft for example it kind of is like that if you're playing some of the more difficult races um so in some sense you know you could say that planetary annihilation is like dumbed down but i think it really just has like a focused design and like you were saying you know 
it's one of the few strategy games that you've actually felt like you've been able to pick up and play. Yes. And just definitely. enjoy and have fun with, you know, battling your friends and blowing them up. <laughs> or battling my friends and being blown up. Yeah, well. But yes, the point still stands. It, <laughs> it, 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 it was one of the few. The, the one, the only one. I definitely feel that when we play that, you tend to have a commanding role. Mm-mm. Well, I mean, that's just because I am the RTS player in general out of us. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, I definitely like the uh, the big robots you can build Titans, so that that would yeah. be the uh, the Titan expansion. It takes the it takes it into like a, a different sort of um, ground battle game where you you send out your your big robots and your little robots to to take out the smaller shit. Um, I don't know. Definitely lots and lots of production though. I I'm very bad at this game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very very bad at this. Yeah, game. Yeah, I'm not honestly not too certain how it would function on a competitive level um because it does seem like at least some of the titans you can just at a certain point if you build enough of the little fabricator units you can build things really really quickly so you can build like nukes you can build these like planetary annihilation lasers which is why it's called planetary annihilation because you like blow up planets um but once you get the orbital fabricators you can build like 10 million of them and as long as you have enough power you can just start pumping out these titans so like if somebody can't penetrate your defenses and like take out your production you're like oh lol i'll just have these like 30 orbital titans that just can fly to anywhere in the galaxy and just like wreck <laughs> but on the other hand you know somebody can build up defenses so it's like maybe it is balanced i don't know i've tried using walls those don't work <laughs> <laughs> but when you can go into orbit it doesn't seem like there's much of a point for walls <laughs> yeah well and that was something that i think i always kind of struggled with was building defenses and then becoming too like hold in in one spot and not expanding enough and or then not having enough offensive production as well to actually again go out and conquer so it was kind of difficult you know to to do that um for me or to find the line between those yeah i think for me the way conceptually i thought about it was you know your army is mobile obviously um so then you always want to be like keeping tabs on the enemy's army so if like you just have some, like, scouts hanging around. Even if they die, it's like individual units don't matter. But you you want static defenses in place to protect your factories, mostly. But it's just to, like, buy time. Because if the enemy army comes in and is trying to, like, push through and kill your factories, well, you have all these turrets and stuff that they're going to kill them. But they're eventually going to kill your turrets. Like, it's pretty hard to, like, build a static defense that's strong enough that somebody can't crack it eventually. But what you can do is slow them down so that then you can, like either build an army or like fly your army over there to then fight them and push them back off. Cause then they don't want to take the fight right on top of all your turrets. Right. So like you, you build the static de- defenses in place to like protect those choke points and buy yourself time to, to allow your army to be, to be more spread out. Yeah, it makes sense. I, it just, again, sort of getting tunnel visioned in what I'm, what, yeah. what I'm trying to actually accomplish is difficult for me, which is again, why I think, rts's in general are kind of difficult because there's a lot of Mm -hmm. aspects you have to manage all at the same time but that said planetary annihilation was pretty pretty good yeah once you start getting into like the six planets though it's kind of tough because you're like oh i've got all these things to manage and the controls become a little clunky unfortunately that's that's kind of my my main gripe with the game is that sometimes the controls can be a little clunky especially starting out but they're also weirdly intuitive in some ways, it's like it's kind of a mix. It's it's a trade-off. But yeah, anyway, are there other other games of this type that 
we are wanting to discuss? I think I think I'm I'm set. We talked a bunch about Mass Effect. I don't know if there's any yeah. others, but it's it's been good. Thank you, Dantian, for hey, for fun being on our episode. <laughs> Thank you for having. Yeah, me. it's fun to fun to have you. Thanks for uh, breaking our tie yeah. and giving. Tearing it, was, it was very close. It was very close. I'm happy. It was I'm pretty happy. close. Yeah, that really came down to the wire. Yeah, really, really, it did. It was pretty we... fun though. I liked having us both guess things at the same time that neither of us knew what they were going to be like that was an interesting uh <laughs> an interesting twist on the normal mystery sound thing i, I enjoyed well, that greatly hey there you go i can uh I, I can help out with that a little more often if you'd like to if you have yeah, t- we, t- we t- might have in the to, future <laughs> yeah we might have to do that again mix switch yeah. things up a little bit like that but nintendo switch <laughs> oh well i mean i sort of <laughs> thinking about that um i was curious if you guys had any thoughts about uh, any of the new information that's come out about the Switch, uh, or if there's any game releases you're looking forward to on the Switch, or anything like that. Um, um, has there been new information since we last talked about it? I mean, they came out with technical specifications, pretty much. Oh, um, I had not heard. I am I'm a ignorant heathen. Um, well, I don't I don't remember very much off the top of my head, um, apart from the fact that um, when docked, it'll run at uh, 1080p. It's got a custom built NVIDIA Terga. Um, so, uh, it's running its own GPU, much like most modern day consoles nowadays that run their own dedicated GPU built for them. But that's just in the dock? Or like, there's a separate one in the dock? Most, um, Kozar, do you know what the, uh, what what the specifics are on that? But I'm pretty sure most of the hardware is contained within the handheld unit. It's, yeah, essentially, that's from my understanding, is that it's basically all in the handheld unit. Um, just, it becomes amplified or like like more powerful when it's put into the dock or something. Maybe that's interesting. It's got direct power or something. It's probably a really interesting hardware design <laughs> to make it function. It, it honestly could just be that it because it's plugged in and whatnot. It's able to run 1080 for the sake of having a solid power supply mm-hmm. and just the screen and whatnot. Like yeah, the the screen that is on the handheld just might have been too much pushing it to 1080. That could be, yeah, yeah, maybe just the the battery life alone. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I, supposed I, to have what, like three hours, as they said. No, more than that. Wasn't it like four hours? It depends on the game. I think that they said two and a half to like five or six hours, depending. Okay. But it charges with USB C, hmm. so you can plug it into any USB car charger or any USB spot Nothing. thing anywhere, huh. which is nice. You don't need a proprietary like cable or a, a, like a wall socket. <laughs> Speaking of USB-C, I saw one of the, um, like, small new MacBook laptops that, that's, like, pretty much the only port it has. Yes. It has <laughs> one terrible. USB-C port, or two or something like that, I think. And, like, one of them is for the power. Like, yeah, it's absolutely awful. Like, I have no idea, like, you gotta how you would adapters. use that. You gotta buy those adapters. You gotta... Just, like, 10 million dongles. And the freaking adapters cost 100 bucks a piece. Jeez. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the... <laughs> design direction that apple has been taking with their stuff which is unfortunate because i i do really enjoy their hardware like I'm, i've always been an apple person but uh yeah lately with i'm just I, i'm not i mean so you you don't know, like what you're saying you know the, the old apple technology and the new you can't really compare it it's like apples and oranges <laughs> well done i wasn't sure i knew it was a joke but i wasn't this, sure with my tone of voice and the stilted delivery yeah, actually, you, you like you like take a step back and you're like, but wait, 
da, 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 da. <laughs> let, let me call attention to this opportunity that has presented itself for us exactly. today. Uh, moral of the story, save your money, build yourself your own custom rig. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, if, like, if you're going to get one of these tiny books, like, I don't even understand the point. Like, honestly, yeah. you know, when we've gone from phones to, like, desktops, I feel like the laptop is going to be the thing that's going to be kind of the thing of the past eventually. Except for, like, gaming. So you're, like, you're going to have, like, laptops, but then what the hell's the point of a, like, Netflix. shitty laptop? You might as well just have a tablet. Right. At that point, well, seriously, <laughs> there's no point in having a netbook anymore. You just get a tablet with a keyboard, uh, like, on the side, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree on that. I think that I think that there's definitely going to be a, a, a use for having laptops. I think that they're, with a lot of creative production, there, mm, like there business, is a... Probably. Yeah, and there is still a lot like Apple's hardware and just how they put their computers together just run reliably. I, you know, I've never had a problem with my MacBook Pro. That said, it's, you know, like five years old now, but it's still running fine. The hard drive's getting a little funky, but like it it just, it's done what I've needed it to do. It's been a creative powerhouse for me for doing music and video editing and all kinds of things. And I think that the portability behind it has been vital because, you know, having been in college and moving around a bunch is needed, so I don't have to lug around yeah. a desktop. But, it's fun. But, like, these me. tiny mini ones, I guess, is really what I'm talking about. Not, like, not like a full laptop, but, like, no, these, right. like, like, a netbook. These, the, like, mean, the MacBook Airs and things like that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, the, the reason is because everyone has an iPhone, and so they want the MacBook so that their iPhone just, like, matches up seamlessly it's it, it just becomes a brand at that point really yeah you which, just have the whole loadout of gear even though like, uh, yeah and it's kind of pointless my 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 respect and you know appreciation of apple does not come from the brand it comes from the quality of the products that they put out yeah i don't i i am against basically any of the software updates that they've had in the past few years and not necessarily like operating systems specifically but i haven't really enjoyed those either um I just the iTunes updates and changes. Uh, I, they actually did fix iMovie, which is nice. But oh. f- there was the whole Final Cut fiasco at one point where they updated it, and they're like, "Let's make this more user friendly." And all the professionals are like, "Excuse you, you did what to my Final Cut Pro?" <laughs> and then they had to like release like a professional version or whatever, and be like, "Oops, sorry." Whoopsie, it's, we just broke functionality for like half of our user base. Yeah, yeah, and so. It it's it's difficult because I I do think that they still they still do make quality products. Like if you want to get something that is going to be reliable and going to work for you, and and that's the thing. Like honestly, if your main use for a laptop is going to be email, Facebook, and just very basic word processing functionalities, mm-hmm. get, go ahead and get a MacBook or something because it's going to last you for 10, 15 years, and you're not going to have any problems with it because you're never going to need to upgrade your hardware. <laughs> Yeah, and and so, I guess like you don't want to like type shit on your phone. I guess yeah, really is but the only distinction. It, but at that point, it's like a tablet would give you kind of a similar functionality, right? Yeah, right. But like at the cost of that reliability is what he's getting. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah, um, it, it really just it it depends on on your need, um, and and it and it depends on what you think like if someone's coming to me and they're like i really want like an apple computer and i'm like what are you going to do with it and they're like well i'm going to send some emails and do facebook i'm going to be like or how about you get this three four hundred dollar like you know acer laptop that's going to do all of those things for you just fine and you're not going to break your bank <laughs> yeah but if someone's like going to you know three markup like. yeah it's just 
it, it, it is kind of, you know, a balancing act because I, I do feel that Apple's hardware, if you're nice to it, which, you know, I, I am. So maybe a, a basic <laughs> Windows laptop would last me for a really long time, too. But um, it, it it really just depends on, like, your use of it, though. I, I do still strongly feel that Apple's hardware is good, and I, I don't see that changing, which is nice. I just wish that they would stop getting rid of adapters. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't know that I'm ever going to buy another MacBook because I don't want to have to get a USB adapter for my Ethernet. That's like the dumbest thing ever. Like, oh, you're going to need one for your Wii U, too. Just, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get one when I get my switch. I'm not going to get no, an adapter for the Wii U because but also <laughs> while we're while we're but at on least that it's a different thread. purpose for the, yeah. for so, the piece of technology. Exactly. Yes. You know, I, 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 that's that. I, I agree. It's a little different. It's not as well anymore. I guess a gaming console, it, it is a little vital because yeah. there's so much digital downloading that, like, but doesn't it the just, Wii U have wireless though, right? It does, yes. Yeah. All, all of the Nintendo consoles. It only, it only works on the three bands that were five bands. Oh. Sure. It's, it's not great, but it is what it is. Um, I mean, my, my laptop works on the three band. <laughs> well, it's the, only on the three band? Yeah. Oh, okay. In which case, but i mean there i have an ethernet cable as well so like you're right right um but i mean talking about that nintendo hardware like you're still running your 64 aren't you oh yeah i still have my super nintendo nice i should have kept mine my mom fucking sold mine my mom was like you're never going to use this and she's like hell yes i am and and i was like fine you're right and i was and and now i'm older and i want to play all these games and i'm like (laughs) and i bought them again for like the wii virtual console and i'm like it's okay though because pretty much any snes game you can just play on emulator now that's what i mean like oh well yeah that's you i can get it for free right (laughs) but i i think that don't tell the internet i think that it actually having um I, i like i have my super nintendo but really I'm I am much more likely to rebuy the game and play it on the Wii U or on the Switch or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Which um <laughs> I I don't know why. But I think one of the big things, Challenge first of all, <laughs> is finding finding a TV that has um an RCA adapter was surprisingly difficult. These days, yeah. I I was kind of surprised. They have the audio ins. But they don't have the video in unless you like go through the component and not all of them support that. But it, it could be something that just like was a phase or whatnot. But like my Super Nintendo, you have to go in through the antenna. Like that's how it connects to your TV. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's oh, that's right. crazy. That's how you did that. It, it was I didn't coax. Know that. It was coax. <laughs> and so I, th- I think that there is an RCA adapter for the Super Nintendo, but I'm not sure. And there just probably are a bunch of cheap knockoff cables out there. But so I think that's part of why I would be more inclined to uh, rebuy it because it's just going to be more reliable or whatnot. But then again, there is something about having that like nostalgia for it. And there's some games like Super Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, the most impossible game I've ever played. (laughs) That's never going to get re-released. And I want to eventually play and try to beat that game because I remember that just being such a painful experience (laughs) as a child. Because like there was a there was a pit that I couldn't cross. It was like in the first level. I could never beat it. And I was like, what is this? And like Rogue Squadron for the N64, such a difficult game. And like I, I, I don't. I'm assuming it was super difficult because I was a child. But at the same time, it could just 
be that difficult of a game and that involved and in depth but yeah that's that's an interesting thing thinking about old games is that in some ways in order for them to be entertaining they had to either be challenging or have really good gameplay whereas nowadays games can kind of get away with not having either of those or it's just it's different pretty yeah <laughs> yeah that it, you know because it's like if the game looks like shit it's gotta either be fun to play or really difficult like yeah <laughs> and that's fine i think that i think that that's a you know one of those triangle things that it's one of those things has to work <laughs> one of those triangle things yeah yeah exactly how pick about two. them shapes yeah, <laughs> well because i just think of like the whole like college thing it's like try to balance friendship life schoolwork you can have none you pick two yeah. <laughs> or whatever pick yeah. two of seven yeah um, um but i i also thought it was interesting that the wii u uh, has ended its production cycle in Japan. I don't remember when that was, but I read the consoles themselves. Yeah. Huh. So they're well, they're getting, getting ready for the Switch. They're getting ready for the Switch, and they're trying to put the Wii U behind them. But uh, I think that the Wii yeah, U will still Wii have was... some staying power for a while because there's not a ton of games out for the Switch right now. Yeah. Uh, however, I am really excited about the online functionality of the Switch because it's going to be paid like a subscription base that might actually be good yeah and it, it the they released the cost for japan and i think it came out to about 30 dollars like 30 us dollars uh for a, a year oh oh for a uh, month that was gonna be terrible gonna be like, <laughs> no what? yeah no yeah um so so i you know i don't know i'm i'm excited to have really well put together infrastructure for the online and they are talking about having like free monthly games where you can play like an old SNES game for free with online uh-huh. functionality, which I don't uh-huh. know what that means. Huh. But so, so long as you're connected to the internet, you can play this game. You don't own it technically. Well, r- right, but I mean, I th- I think that they were talking about like having some sort of like online functionality for the game itself. No, Mario Kart 64. That'd be cool. Wireless. Fucking Kirby Air Ride. Can we get Kirby Air Ride? Oh my gosh. I zero X like uh, yes <laughs> yes please like if that would be such a like they have to do that because I feel like that can't be that difficult and this Nintendo is totally like the graphics that. maybe yeah. they don't but I, I I don't even need the graphics for stuff just makes right. the resolution so it doesn't look like crap that's it and Nintendo's the king of nostalgia right now like for sure yes yeah and so to have that like if they crank those out they're gonna do fine with the subscription as well to be able to yeah. play old retro games with my friends like not only online but locally like if you buy the game and you're like hey i'm coming over i'm bringing my switch okay you bring your handheld tablet sit down and play f-zero like what Fuck yeah. yeah that's gonna be awesome oh, hell that's yeah. the dream that is the dream right now yeah it'll just there'll, there'll be some ramp up time while the library expands yeah but i'm 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 super excited and hopeful that that's what all of that uh, retro stuff is until three like. years from now when it's the switch Two or the switch you switch you i don't know you know i i think that they've got a really i think they've got a really good balance in terms of the hardware with this that i it's nintendo again they're not going to update to 4k when everyone else is at 4k i still think 4k is ridiculous like pointless yeah it's totally unnecessary at this point and i don't see it catching on for a while i also hope it doesn't catch on for a while because i don't care (laughs) like don't spend all of your investment in making a game making it 4k 
make it better give it better gameplay give it new functionality like yeah i agree i definitely 1080 agree. is fine please we're good <laughs> i also don't want to have to spend like two thousand dollars on a tv to play something in 4k just Seriously. to get all of that extra like sort of benefit tvs it's are just, already expensive enough yeah Smart it does TVs. it doesn't it doesn't matter to me it's not where it's at like i don't care I really that, you know I think that'll be interesting though like I it I I I don't know that I'll get one but <laughs> alrighty well, anyway it seems like we're wrapping up here it's been a fun episode yeah definitely talked about Thanks a lot for of different stuff joining us um so it's yeah feel free to tweet at us at tune into gaming any of your comments or suggestions or thoughts or if you have any exciting news about the switch or games or space or you know whatever the heck you want to talk about if you just want to like, heckle us too that's hit allowed. us up yeah um it's and then tune into gaming yep or email us tune into gaming at gmail.com you can hit us up on our twitches because we are very twitchy i'm quactical uh, i'm north kozar and this has been tune into gaming bye <laughs> this has also been dan <laughs> Yeah, no, hey, yeah. Dantian, do do yeah. our outro. You, all you got to say is just like in an, in an emphatic voice, tune out. Tune out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.